Hello and welcome once again to Watershed Writers, the radio documentary series and podcast that features writers creating literature in the Grand River region in southwestern Ontario. We read, write and record on the traditional territories of the neutral Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples, and we are dedicated to bringing you stories about writers from diverse backgrounds. Our slogan is, listen local, think global. You are listening to the first episode of our fourth season, what we've been calling the To and Fro episode, where we take a little time to look back at who we've talked to, get caught up on our local reading recommendations, and dream ahead to interviews that we have coming up. We were out in the world meeting writers all summer, and now we're back in the studio bringing you more literary life from off the beaten path. I'm Tannis McDonald, and I'm going to be joined shortly by the woman who started it all, Francis Roberts Riley, the radio producer, documentary, and writer. Let's get into it. Hi, Francis. Hi, Tannis. Good to uh, connect again, and for another season, it's exciting. I know. We've, we've had the summer where we're not interviewing uh, people, but it's been a very busy summer uh, in terms of literary production and literary events at uh, in the uh, Waterloo region here on traditional uh, Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. And I thought we could talk a little bit about what we've got coming up in the season. Sounds good. I've also got a thing I call a wish list, which is, you know, the the writers uh, whose books I've been reading and who I am eyeing up for uh, for an interview. So um, I'm also kind of thinking if I mentioned people's uh, books, they'd be more inclined to come and, and be interviewed. So I want to talk about my wish list. And also, I am telling you that the writers from our region are cleaning it up all across the country in terms of long lists and awards. And I just really want to give a shout out to our, our many writer guests who, who continue to sort of knock it out of the park in, in terms of literary awards, right? Yeah, it's, it's all good news. It's fantastic. But listen, what I really want to lead off with is this is our fourth season. And I have to say, I didn't think this was going to go on so long when you cornered me that time. <laughs> and said, let's do a podcast. But of course, I'm pleased to, to keep going. It was just, you know, sort of unforeseen. And was also unforeseen was our relationship with uh, Midtown Radio. And I also know, little bird told me, a little bird who looked a lot like you, uh, told me that you got an award uh, last year. Can you tell us about your award? I got an award actually from Midtown Radio. And it's a recognition that I've had, sounding like an old lady now, 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what I've done is I've brought those skills to bear on this show. And what Midtown Radio have done is acknowledge that as a, a value. It's one of the values they have for those who go and support their station from behind the scenes. And as I joked earlier, I'm, I'm high-functioning under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> but but I've, I've always been committed to 
as they put it, you know, ensuring that this show is smooth functioning and and that it's a success because I don't actually work for anything other than success. So we indeed. Yeah. I was surprised to get it and now I'm now I have it on my wall. With, with two of my others, so she said, showing off. <laughs> excellent, excellent. What are the other two? Tell me the other, other two I words. have one for my documentary, More Than Just a Job, that I did for the Women's Directorate in the Ontario government, and it is to encourage young girls to continue with math and science so they can go into non-traditional jobs like plumbing, welding, Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously earn a better wage. And that one award, a finalist for Best Educational Film, because it went into every high school across Ontario. Oh, you know, I thought it, it sounded familiar and I, you know, I might have seen it. Oh, you may have, yes. If you've been in the educational field, it, yeah. it, it's, been, it's been circulating ever since because it's still topical. And yeah. I'm talking 35, 40 years, it is still topical. Women yeah. and girls are, still don't have wage equity. You know, girls mm-hmm. are still not encouraged to go into math and science. or oh, they're discouraged. And so it still, it still matters. The other award is for best poem. I'm a poet as well. Listeners don't know. Um, a poem I wrote about the rose, the sacred rose. And it's called The Song of the Rose. And it won most popular poem for one of the editions on the Ontario Poetry Society. Oh, so very nice. It's my uh, colleagues, my, you know, it's, it's all the people that I work alongside who, who voted for it. So I like that. Yeah. Very nice. I like that collection of awards. One for producing a radio, one for uh, producing film, and um, and one for, for writing poetry. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for that. And congratulations. Thank you. Now, okay. I want to talk a little bit now about who we have coming up. Booked. Absolutely booked for um, for season four. You know, for those of you who uh, want to run a podcast, there are, I will tell you, there are times when we're not recording, but there are never times when we're not planning, right? So while I was uh, talking about, you know, spending a, a restful summer writing and relaxing and musing, I was also scheming and sending emails and and reading a lot of of local writing and um i made it a a project to post all of my uh local reading on uh, our instagram account so you can uh, check out what local books i've been reading though we'll talk about some of them here one of our first guests that we have coming up is a return guest but we didn't have enough time with her last time she was here we're going to have our uh, an award-winning uh, writer, Sarah Tolmy. Sarah's a, certainly a, a good friend of mine, and we were in a, a poetry writing group, and so I know her poetry better than, or I knew it first before I, I got to know her fiction. And Sarah and I, were, we shared a table at uh, the KW Book Fest, and <laughs> Sarah put up a little sign that said, weird fiction here. And I will tell you, everyone who stopped at the table went, what do you mean by weird fiction. (laughs) And Sarah has her very own definition of of weird fiction, which I'm not going to share with you. You're going to have to listen to the episode. (laughs) But suffice to say, that will be an episode where I really want to talk to Sarah about how she produces so much, so quickly of such high quality. And I think part of what she'll uh, attribute to, to that kind of practice is the weirdness. And so, yeah. 
So it'll be our, our weird fiction episode with Sarah Tolmy. That's coming up. Do you remember last time she was here, Francis? We yeah. uh, we talked about her her poetry. So I'm really glad. I love poetry and I'll talk about it all the time, but I'm really glad to get a chance to focus on something else that she's writing. Sounds good. Now, so that's Sarah coming up. Next, we have someone I've wanted to interview for a long time. It is Carol Duncan, my colleague at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University and a new short story writer. Carol is a scholarly expert on the Caribbean diaspora and uh, reclaiming stories from that culture. And she's a fantastic scholar, but she started to write short stories and they are out of this world. They are amazing. And she's put, of course, putting together a collection of short stories, but I, I'm really um, passionate in this podcast and in this, this radio show to talk to people from all stages of their writing career. And I think someone like Carol is someone who has a wealth of knowledge that comes from her job and she's applying it to these short stories and the result is really fantastic. So I have been reading up on uh, Carol's short story. I think after the episode, we can share with our listeners some links to some of her short stories. You can read them herself, but that is going to be a, a treat to have Carol Duncan on the show. That really dovetails nicely into the work we did with Peggy Plett, who's the Black historian here in Kitchener-Waterloo and the work that she's doing to raise awareness of the heritage that's been, there's uh, a legacy of it actually. Very much so. And uh, Carol has some similar kinds of interest in finding uh, Black Ontario history as well, and also thinking about the overlaps between what we think of uh, the local and the global, right? So yeah, so definitely coming back to that kind of conversation that we had with Peggy. We've got a short story writer and a weird fiction writer, and now it's time to have to change up our, our genres and tell you about the playwright that we have coming on, and that is our friend Alison Fishburne. She's a playwright and a memoirist, but she put on her one-woman show at the Hamilton Fringe Festival in the summer, and uh, it was called Church Boyfriends and Other Disasters, and I thought, I, I have to see this, right? So I know Allison as someone who's just a ball of fire. She's, uh, she hosts the Riverside Reading Series and in Paris, Ontario. So I wanted to see her when she wasn't in her administrative role, and I wanted to see that energy focused on telling a story. Allison grew up in a, in a fundamentalist family in, uh, in Florida, and uh, let's just say that her adolescence was rife with people telling her that were she to neck with a boy or, God forbid, have sex with a boy, um, that she would uh, burn in hell. And so you can imagine that that is material that is ripe for parody, uh, ripe for taking apart, and, and ripe for a story about uh, growing up and out. Yeah, I um, I spent uh, five years living in Florida as a snowbird. I, mm. I was in that milieu for some time. So I'm looking forward to hearing Alison. And I know she's a fireball, so yeah. she did a lot in New York, didn't she, before she came? She did. She did. She lived in New York for quite some time. Yeah. And then, you know, my, my joke with Alison is that uh, she met a Canadian guy and, and moved up here. And I said, really, that's that's our plan as Canadians, to send all the guys uh, south yeah. and bring, bring back all these badass women. Yeah. Right. 
the more the merrier. Come on in. We love to have playwrights on the show, and and sometimes they're kind of hard to ferret out of the actual theater and, and onto a, a podcast, but I'm, I'm very pleased to have Alison coming. Do what you have next? Well, we have, I read over the summer, the much lauded and much uh, award-winning KW novelist, Carrie Snyder's new book, Francie's Got a Gun. What a title, eh? Francie's Got a Gun. So we get the, the, the fact that Francie sounds very, very young, right? She sounds like a young girl. Mm-hmm. And what is she doing um, with a gun? Well, that is the, the central question of, of that book. So I expected it to be a really propulsive book about the problem of the young girl and the gun. And it is. But Carrie has such facility for writing community for writing a community of inter-involved characters, people whose livelihood depends upon each other and how one choice or two choices can cause a huge swing in that community. So while it was a propulsive plot, what really caught me was how she managed all these characters of differing ages and who have different ideas in mind about what is right and why it's right. Um, she has a real facility for writing characters who are not middle class, who are very much working class or living on the margins of, of that community, yet are still strong parts of that community. So I really want to ask her about all of those kinds of things and also what it's like to write from within the uh, the brain of, a, of an 11-year-old, which is how old our, our protagonist, Francie, oh. is. Oh, that's wonderful. We've had a few of those kinds of YA themes, haven't we, in some of the ones we've done? It's important to think about, you know, like a true YA novel or a middle grade novel that is meant for um, YA readers and the idea that there can be young characters and who are protagonists, and yet it is not a YA book, right? Or is it, right? When Benjamin Lefevre was on, we talked a long time about the fact that a YA literature is often a kind of marketing idea, right? And so, yeah, I think I want to ask her about that as well, that some people would say that this is um, too tense to be a YA novel, but I, I don't know. There's, I think kids live with plenty of tension uh, and, and a lot of horrible things, and um, it's important to have books that, that talk about for everyone, for kids and, and for um, adults about the pressures that children are under. I also ranged a little further afield for a couple of our authors because I feel strongly that we should reach out a little bit to our uh, our brothers and sisters in Hamilton, uh, who I have a very vibrant literary scene. And we've had uh, Gary Barwin on the show before, uh, a very well-known Hamilton writer. I reached out to Anuya Varghese, who has this great short story book out called Chrysalis that I read and loved and asked her to come on the show. So, you know, we do always want to uh, showcase uh, writers from within the region, but we can we can stretch a little sometimes. We can stretch. And I really want to want to stretch for a New Year's book. I, I think it's uh, yeah. a, a real winner. And, well, we uh, stretch like the watershed stretches. This is Anuya's first book, and she was mentored by the the wonderful poet and uh, novelist uh, Farzana Doctor, who lives oh. in Toronto. And I know Farzana and admire her her work. So when I heard that this was a project that that she had mentored, I thought, yeah, I gotta gotta read Anuya's book. So I did, uh, loved it, and we're having her on the show. 
And finally, before I get to the the wish list, our last person that I've I've booked is someone I've known for ages, uh, the poet Chris Banks, who, again, speaking of prolific, Chris manages to get a poetry book out every two years. So I'm I'm not completely caught up on Chris's oeuvre, but I did read his last book, Deep Fake Serenade, which I loved. And uh, he's coming up with another book called Alternator, which he is launching in uh, October. And I'm going to read at the launch as well. Everyone's going to be there to see Chris. You can come and see me too, but, you know, it's his event. And so I'll read briefly and then he'll read a little longer. Yeah, he's a real poetry machine. He he really gets it done, right? And uh, they're funny and sad and surrealist poems. And I think they'll be, I think they'll sound great read out loud as, as, as good as they look uh, on the page. Yeah, so we've got some short story writers, playwright, poets, novelists, new writers, writers that have written 10 books and more. So that's what's coming up in our fall turn of season. Season four of Watershed Writers, and be sure to join us in two weeks when I'll talk to the short story writer Carol Duncan about how Caribbean culture influences her writing and how she views the role of research in fiction. Okay, back again. It's Francis here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of our process about how we come up with ideas and how we engage with authors. And I will say it's a little unusual because both Tannis and I are constantly thinking about who we want on. And Tannis, for one, is always processing. There's always this wish list in the back <laughs> of her mind. And it's one that always surprises me because it's got some great ideas in it. After that, well, she has already read all the books of her wish list. As they come to light for me, I get them and I read as much as I can. And that's really unusual in the production world. I'm not just sitting here pressing buttons and putting schedules together. I'm also involved in the actual conversation. So I'm going to say um, over to you, Tanis, and you can give us your latest wish list. Ah, the wish list. You know, I, I don't think it ought to be so unusual that a show that is about reading has people actually reading, right? But I, I know what you're saying, that I have I have been, you know, interviewed uh, about books I've written by people who, you know, have read the press package, but they haven't read the book. That's, you know, it's, it's no, no shame on them. I think they're very busy people and they can't possibly, but... I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, a book magnet and I, I read a lot and I read widely across genres and yeah, and I've always got my eye out on who's in uh, the Waterloo region and who I can have on the show. Now, top of my wish list is Aaron Bow. Aaron was our very, very first interview in our first season of Watershed Writers. And uh, she's someone I knew for years as a poet, and when she, where she publishes under the name of Erin Noteboom, which was her maiden name, but she publishes her YA fiction as Erin Bow, and she has won the Governor General's Award, and you know, again, a list of awards as long as my arm. And her new book, Simon sort of says, is mind-blowingly good. I was saying to Francis before we started recording that this is a book, yes, for middle grade readers, you know, between the grade seven and grade nine or, or grade 10, but 
it, it's a book every adult should read as well. That's, it, it's about a very difficult thing that happens to a child. The character of Simon and how he sort of says things, he'll talk around what the problem is over and over again. But he's got this fierce mom and this really caring dad, and he gets this best friend, and he gets what is you know a, a second chance. And he's worried, so worried, that everything is going to go boom. Erin has been nominated for a National Book Award for Best Book for Young People in the United States, where um, the book is published. Yeah, it's published by Scholastic Canada, but uh, of course they have you know an arm in the United States, and so she's long listed for that. And I think she ought to be shortlisted. And I will go so far as to say I want her to win. I think this deserves a huge award. Uh, for how she keeps comedy and tragedy in balance. She writes about neurotypical characters in a way that is really responsible, really smart, just respectful and funny at the same time. So it's a kind of fantastic balancing act. And uh, yeah, I recommend Simon sort of says to all of you, I'm going to interview Aaron at the Wild Writers Festival this October uh, 27th to 29th. Not about Simon sort of says, though I would. Um, I'm going to interview her about a book that came out practically the same time, her poetry book, A Knife So Sharp Its Edge Cannot Be Seen. It's a great title, A Knife So Sharp Its Edge Cannot Be Seen, in which she has, uh, she puts on her science hat. She is a, a trained physicist and she works at the uh, Institute for Theoretical Physics here in Waterloo. And yeah, she, she writes about the uh, discoverer of radiation, Marie Curie. And Erin does her such justice, the, uh, the fantastic, um, brilliant intelligence, and of course her tragic death because she died of, of radium poisoning, right? Yes, she read it in our first show. I was absolutely blown away by it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Yeah, Erin's one of these writers who can do anything, you know? I'm on my way to, to being an Erin Bow uh, completist. I haven't read every single thing she's written, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there because every time she does it, I think that's amazing. I don't know how she does it. So that's what I'll be asking her. How do you do it? How do you do it? That would, that's, that's part of my wish list. You know, part of um, running a podcast is keeping your ear to the ground for things that are coming up. And I've heard about this book by uh, a younger poet called Roshan James, and the book is called Pink Moon. And it's coming out soon in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe by the time this uh, this show airs, it'll actually be out. I haven't got my hands on a copy yet, but I'm really eager to because it's poetry, a poetry book about the Air India bombings, right in the in the eighties. And there has been quite a bit of fiction, like historical fiction, and uh, written around uh, that event and how it affected uh, a lot of Indo-Canadian families. I'm interested to see what she does with it poetically. So um, yes, I am anticipating uh, reading Pink Moon and I think the power of poetry to introduce another sort of narrative. I, I, I like all the fiction I've read about that, um, but I'm, yeah, poetry has a special place in my heart and I wanna see what she does with this. And again, a, a first book, right? And I think that is a, it's a big subject for a first book. And I'm I'm rooting for her. I really want it to change the way people look at this event. Well, it's also very topical, isn't it? So uh, it's timely that we do it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So Roshan's on my list. Also, uh, sometimes we have people come on the show who uh, used to live in the area and then have since moved away. And I've got a book from uh, a poet called Susan Braley 
called, it's called Tilling the Soil. That's what it's called. And it is literally about how she became a feminist in a farm family in the area, right? Growing up in a large family. So how she, how she left the farm, part of her education and how she uh, became a feminist. And she lives in BC right now, but she contacted me and said, this is really a book about farming in the watershed region and uh, the role of women in farming in the watershed region. And I said, send me this book. So uh, I'll be very happy to have her on the show and talk. We like to talk about class on this show. We're always struggling for the, the words to talk about class. I read a great book by Deborah Dundas, simply called On Class. And uh, if she was from the region, I'd have her on the show right away. Who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll go rogue and get Deborah on the show anyway, because I thought the book was so fascinating. But when we talk about, of course, people be, being working class and, of course, people um, working the land, et cetera, we, uh, yeah, we need to, to think about that as, as part of our community as well. Wonderful. Another book I haven't read, but I'm really eager to, is a queer coming out narrative called Between the Head and the Hands by a writer who I don't know, uh, but I'm eager to meet, James Charani. So again, uh, a writer from from the area and writing about um, not only coming out, but coming out in his community and uh, what it's like to be judged in a particular culture for, for being LGBTQ. So this is uh, a novel, um, but it's uh, very much a, a kind of Romana Clef, right, where he uh, is writing uh, in part about his own experience and, of course, fictionalizing as well. So I, I'm very um, eager to finish reading that and to uh, have James on the show. Anything else on your wish list, Tennis? Yes. There's another great poet from Hamilton. The cover of this just stopped me. It's called Streams That Lead Somewhere. And the poet's name is Farah Malik. And I had a chance to meet him um, at the Riverside Writers Festival. We both read our work and he is a powerhouse. This is like fantastic work about racism, about, uh, about sexuality. And he's a, a very lovely human being, very, very nice. Um, but he tells it like it is in these poems. And I, I'm, I would be very happy to have a conversation with, uh, with Farah. And the last thing I'll mention is, um, you know, I'm always finding people in the strangest places. <laughs> I'm always finding writers in the strangest places or hearing about it where I don't really expect to find uh, another uh, writer from Kitchener-Waterloo. I co-edited an issue of um, The Goose, which is um, an environmental humanities journal that has literary work in it and also scholarly work. Uh, the writer Ariel Gordon and I edited it together. It's going to come out mid to end October. And uh, as I was reading through, we agreed that I would edit half of the creative nonfiction and the scholarly stuff, and Ariel would do the other half of the creative nonfiction and the poetry. Fine. That's how we divided it. And then I read this poem that I said, oh, I, I really want this for the issue. And I saw it was by a Kitchener poet that I didn't know. And I thought, that's impossible. There are no Kitchener poets that I do not know, which of course was wrong, but I have this, this kind of reaction. And it's by a, a woman named Leanne Charette. And I conversed with her a, a little bit since. I really want to have her on. Uh, she writes um, beautifully about disability 
and parenthood. And she has been writing poetry for about five years and uh, wants to do more of it. So in the spirit of interviewing people who are at varying stages of their career, I want to talk to Leanne about what it's like to be an early career poet. I remember what it was like when I was an early career poet, but you know, times have changed. And I want to hear her experience uh, of that. And of course, writing um, the urgent and and sometimes hard to do writing uh, about disability as well. Great. Sounds good. The Wild Writers Festival is coming up soon in Waterloo from October 27th to 29th. It features many free or low-cost events and writers from all over talking about their craft. Everyone is welcome. I will be there with a fabulous panel of poets, including the wonderful local writer, Erin Noteboom, wildwriters.ca. So, Dennis, the listeners should know that you actually review all these books on our Instagram account, Watershed Writers Podcast. Tell us more. They're very short as reviews go, but if you ever want to find some of these uh, some of these books that I'm I'm reading eagerly and passionately, I post all my local reads on the Watershed Writers Instagram, and um, yeah, and give them what I would call mini reviews. Right, I'd say why I liked it, what you can expect from from reading it, and I know that like places to review literature venues are growing thin, uh, especially, I mean, if you have a very big, much anticipated novel coming out with McClelland and Stewart or, or a very large publisher, okay, that's going to get reviewed in the Globe and Mail. But let's just say you're a playwright or a poet or are being published by an independent uh, publisher, someone who doesn't have the kind of budget um, that McClellan and Stewart has with that big American money behind it, you know? Reviews, even these mini reviews on social media are coming around to counting more, right? Because many of our traditional reviewing spaces in newspapers and magazines are becoming fewer. So, um, yep, I read them all. I read them all, I review them all, I take pictures of the covers so you can find it. And often I get them from the library as well, so you don't have to go broke, you know, uh, finding these books. Again, sometimes I'm, I'm very lucky, I'm a book magnet and people give me these books, but many of them are available at our local libraries. And I do something else too. I ask local librarians to stock them, which anyone can do. This is not, I don't have a superpower. You can actually just request books to be uh, to be in the collection and you tell them why. I've had a librarian say to me, we're not getting that book in. <laughs> they just, they do it. They're happy to have recommendations of books that people want to read. Yes, for sure. Check that local library if you want some of these books. Do you want to say something about the award culture? Sure. I'm, I'm on the edge of it and I don't understand it. Oh, I believe me, no one does. Oh, it doesn't make any sense to me. No. Listen, uh, sometimes, like when when Suzette Meyer won for uh, the Sleeping Car Porter, I was so happy because Suzette has been knocking it out of the park her entire career, right? Like, it's a fantastic book, but I would also say... Many of her books are fantastic. This was the right book at the right time, backed by the right publisher. So that was like a big win, 
right? Awards culture is uncontrollable and strange, and it has a lot to do with money and what publishers have the money to promote particular books. And so sometimes, you know, I often don't agree with the book, uh, you know, that this was the best book, although I totally believe it in Suzette's case. But I love it when I see people who have really put in the time to do the work and they get long listed or nominated or making a shortlist. And of course, sometimes honored with um, the actual award. So our friend Gary Barwin, who I mentioned a little earlier, has just won the Canadian Jewish Book Award for Poetry. And it's for a book uh, beautifully called The Most Charming Creatures. I think Gary is, is quite a charming creature himself, and I'm, I'm glad he, he won this uh, award. I know he's won it before for his, uh, his novel, and, uh, and I'm glad to see that, that he's pulling it down for poetry as well. I'm super happy to see that our friend Luke Hathaway, who we interviewed just before his latest book came out, Luke talks about love like no one I've ever seen or no one I ever heard. And Luke also has the old school facility to recite from his books. He has a book out called The Affirmations, which he calls a book about a transformation, about a death and about a birth. Luke is, is really a, a fantastic writer and scholar as well. You can tell by how he writes. Often writes in informal verse, which is unfashionable, but boy, oh boy, does Luke make it fashionable, right? <laughs> uh, so you might think, oh, I don't wanna hear a poem that sounds like a sonnet, but Luke says it out loud and it doesn't sound like a sonnet. It sounds like he's talking, <laughs> which is just, is stunning. And I think instead of hearing me talk about that, we should listen to Luke. So here's some of what he had to say when he was on the show uh, a couple of years ago. Luke, we're coming to the end of our time, and I have a final question that I'd like you to, uh, to think about. And that is, what is your most valuable writer's tool, the one without which you wouldn't be a writer? Love. <laughs> <laughs> you fall, then you must believe that the cause is love. <laughs> that love is all that could make me fail in this sea. And if I should leave, then the cause is love. It's billows and waves gone over me. You know, I think without allowing my heart to breathe, I would die as a waiter. And without following the heart in its hard lesson, in fact in the learning of which one sometimes dies. I would die as a writer. His book, The Affirmations, is on the long list for the very last Relit Award for Poetry that is going to be awarded. The organizers of the Relit Award have said this is going to be the last time they offer the awards. They, speaking of uh, awards culture, they started this as an alternative award that honors people who have books out with independent publishers who sometimes are passed over for the big awards because, um, again, because the, the publishers don't have a big publicity machine. So it has been their cause for uh, the last couple of decades to award those kinds of books and long list those kinds of books that are very high quality and wonderful, but are not being reviewed by the Globe and Mail, right? And listen, I, I don't want to say it's it's bad to get a review by the Globe and Mail. It, 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 if I could get a review in the Globe and Mail, I would not turn it down. I'm just saying there isn't enough space, 
right, for all the good books that are out there. And the problem with that is that people uh, will read the Globe and Mail and go, those are the only books worth talking about. And of course, just not true. Which just proves the value of this show. Yes. Everything I say proves the value of this show. (laughs) And listen, listen, I want to give a shout out to Anique McCaskill, who now lives in Halifax, but she lived for for quite a while in KW. Uh, I think she taught for University of Waterloo. I know for sure she um, she taught at uh, Western University and she's a classic scholar and she won the Governor General's Award for Poetry for her book, Shadow Blight. I remember uh, Anique uh, when she launched her first book with me and it was great. I, I just, I love to see people's growth as, as, you know, as writers, right? From, so I feel like I met her at the very, very start of her career and now she has gone on to do wonderful things. And of course, a, another wonderful city at Halifax. So just a shout out for that big GG win for, for Anique McCaskill. Yay, Anique, yes. <laughs> you know what else I do besides review books? I do that. And I also sometimes see them in production which means that uh, a publisher will sometimes contact me and say, the writer of this book has asked you to blurb the book, which means it's those little pieces on the back that talk about advanced praise for the book. So I'm asked to read it before it's actually published. Now, this is a great responsibility, right? Because again, this is telling people that the book is worth reading. And also, I want to support the author, and I also want to pay attention to the book. So it's like a review, but prior to publication, (laughs) rather than uh, post-publication. So Camille Esla, who we had on the show last fall for her book, Sister Seen, Sister Heard, which is a, a wonderful book again, about uh, feminism and generational misunderstandings and generational understandings among uh, an Iranian, a Canadian-Iranian family. And again, a, a feminist bend and a, and a look at sexual violence and its aftermath. Camille is an author who does not flinch from the hard material. We had her on the, the podcast and I'd like to play a little clip of what Camille said, how she said it, and um, to give you a kind of look at uh, what kind of a writer she is. So here's Camille. I want to say that I think that we are all storytellers and that it starts in childhood, that we learn to tell stories to ourselves about how the world works and that understanding, even if the story requires a considerable amount of suspension of disbelief that we need these stories in order for us to really understand and be able to move forward in our actions. These stories don't need to be structured or formalized into novels. And really most of them, of these stories that we tell ourselves, we'd never speak out loud. And that can be great because keeping a story inside can be really powerful. It's like a private explanation, right? And and to have a story within us that doesn't require any outside critique or any close examination of our belief system. That's a powerful thing. But I need to write these stories aloud because I need 
to understand that what I'm telling myself is legitimate. I need to understand that it's a shared experience. And so how did I come to writing novels? I came to them because I had these stories in my mind that I was telling myself, explaining how I came to be in the world. Different people that I knew, how they came to the place that they are in life. And I needed to see if the story could hold water. Could I write it and explain it according to what I thought? And does it still make sense even with a critical gaze on it? And it's a quite cathartic way of being able to have other people in the world read my version of events, not real events, but just the stories, and to be able to have other people say, yes, that makes sense. I've experienced that. I know what that's about. I mean, I've certainly had many people in my life who have doubted my version of events, my stories. And to put it in a book and stick it out there in the world and have other people say, that they can see how that could happen, that this is viable. This is a, a realistic uh, portrayal of how things could go. It just gives me a little more security in the sense of this is my story that I'm telling you. And it is possible. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it, it does. It does. Because I think taking all those steps, becoming a novelist needs a kind of fire in the belly, right? You need to have a real drive to, and not to do it for an esoteric uh, reason, but to do it because of something within you that you that you really need or, or want to have done. So that makes total sense to me. Are novels like, like Peanuts, once you write one, you really want to write another? <laughs> I think they might be almost like uh, taking political office. Once you take one term, you really want to come back for the next. And if they're willing to give you a higher position, you know, you want to you want to try for it. That's Kimia about her last book, Sister Seen, Sister Heard. But her new book is called Enough, as in that is enough. Right. And uh, here is my blurb on it. I'll read you the blurb and see if this entices you. I, I think it's a wonderful novel and you should read it. And this is what I said. Trying to change the system from within, Camilla Esla shows how it's done in this no bullshit novel as she yanks the lid off a workplace of endless meetings and deeply gendered racism. I cheered as her characters parse the shifting meanings of ambition, loyalty, and solidarity played across generations. Enough is more than enough. This is a book that takes place in Toronto City Hall with three generations of a women of color saying that they are tired of this kind of embedded racism in running a municipality. And it's Toronto in this case, but it could be transferred to nearly anywhere. And as I said, Camilla is, uh, she's a bold writer. This Enough is a fantastic book. It is out from um, Roseway Publishing. And I was very happy to provide that blurb with it. It was a, a rocket ride of a read. Someone else who is very prolific and um, again, has had two more books out since we've had her on the show. So we're going to have her back is the uh, Waterloo writer and scholar, Mariam Pierby. Mariam has written a book called Isolated Incident, which is about Islamophobia. And like Carrie Snyder, Mariam has a kind of facility for writing uh, young characters. So there's a whole slate of characters here who are uh, between about 20 and 25. So young people who are wondering what's next in their life, 
wondering whether they're pursuing the kind of study that will actually give them the life they wanted, uh, changing loyalties, friendships, and thinking about doing doing service in the community, uh, how to reconnect with their culture. And so within uh, these characters, and of course, their, their sisters and brothers and friends and parents, the specter of Islamophobia and, and violence raises its, its head and everyone has to make a choice about how they react. So I think it could be Mariam's years of teaching, or maybe she's just good at it. She's great at focusing on how these young characters deal with the untenable, deal with violence, deal with impossible, and also love each other and have friends and, and serve their families and, and everything. So it's, yeah, it's a real look at that kind of community on the fringes of Toronto. And some of it actually takes place in, um, in Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, sort of some of it migrates uh, a little west uh, to, um, to our own fair cities. So that's Isolated Incident by Mariam Pierby. And somehow, in Mariam's spare time, she <laughs> whipped up a, um, a memoir of being a, a, a person who immigrated to Canada and has, uh, has had a, a life in, in other continents and has settled here. And she calls it Garden Inventories, Essays on Land, Place and Belonging. You know, so she writes about what it's, it's like to be a migrant to be a, a person who is privileged on the one hand and also suffers from systemic racism on the other, to what it actually means to garden, to understand a place by putting your hands in the soil and creating something. And she relates that back to, again, the, the many other places across the globe that where she has lived, where gardening and uh, growing food and flowers is a, a style of belonging. And speaking of blurbs, that book was blurred by the fantastic Cree writer, Rita Bouvier, who lives in Saskatchewan. And when I saw that Rita blurbed it, and this is how blurbs work, right? I went, ooh, look what Rita says about this. This is going to be a wonderful book, right? I knew it was going to be a wonderful book because I know Mariam's a, a wonderful writer. But when I saw Rita's comments on it and how Rita, as an Indigenous writer, appreciated what uh, Mariam had to say about being a settler on the soil of what we uh, sometimes call Canada and thinking about the responsibility to the land and protecting it and thinking through a settler-Indigenous relations as well. So... Yeah, I think I haven't read that one yet. It's coming out soon. I think that's going to be wonderful to have Mariam back to talk about this. But these are the, the sorts of things that she talks about all the time. And she even spoke about it in her first book, the short story collection, Outside People. And uh, here's Mariam talking a little bit about uh, why she wrote that book and what was of concern to her as she was writing it. Outside People... Uh, is the name of the title story, the final story in the collection, where girls in a Caribbean orphanage um, observe what happens when the outside people show up uh, to consider uh, adopting one of them. And so it's the Canadian couple who show up in the orphanage um, that are the outside people in that story. But I think this is the kind of title that flips around several times, and you can read it on a number of levels. Um, the, shifts and changes and the collection seems to turn on who's outside, who's inside and how those categories are determined, uh, negotiated and possibly breached and changed. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I was 
thinking about the way outsidership is continually recast and reimagined um, from one story, from one context to the next, perhaps calling into question the stability of all such categories of citizenship and, and, um, and belonging. I thought, especially looking at the particular kinds of context that each of these stories explores, um, that very often visible minorities tend to be quite invisible, in fact, um, in many ways, in terms of their social reality. Invisible because of the kinds of systemic roadblocks that may have denied them a space as equals within their own societies. So in this sense, outsidership, forms of invisibility, hypervisibility, and marginalization are interrelated um, tropes. So going, going back to your example of the um, child in the, in the orphanage, the, the titular story in the collection, um, it's a great example because, yeah, you're right, the Canadian couple who comes to this Caribbean setting to potentially, hopefully adopt um, are seen as the outsiders by this little girl, so the orphan protagonist. And yet her mother um, has left for, El for the North. She has come to Canada um, you know, for a better life, for better job opportunities. So the girl's orphanhood comes about through her mother's migration to the North. Um, so that sort of begins to flip the idea of, you know, who is inside and who is outside. Someone else who has been on the show has published a book that is knocking it out of the park. It's Emily Urquhart and her Ordinary Wonder Tales, which has been shortlisted for the Hillary Weston Nonfiction Prize. And many congratulations to Emily. And I know that people across the country have been saying to me, have you read this? This is amazing. I said, not, not only have I read it, I have interviewed Emily. I really want to have her back on the show. Really, she should be in my wish list. And I'm amending my wish list right now to make sure Emily's on it. Let's hear a little bit about Emily talking about the book that I interviewed her about when, when she was here, a book uh, all about her father, the, uh, the artist, Tony Urquhart, what, he, what she calls the age of creativity. Here's Emily. It wasn't a, it wasn't something I came to naturally, to be honest. It was something that I was surprised by when I first had the thought about uh, my father thinking we were at the AGO at the time and he was showing me a, a, a painting he'd done in his twenties and he was being quite critical of it. It was as if he was giving one of his students an art critique or something. And as he was doing that, I thought, how bizarre that he is a better artist in his 80s than in his than he was in his 20s and then my second immediate thought was wait a second why do I think that's bizarre <laughs> maybe he's just ordinary <laughs> wait is, is there something here and I was so taken with that idea we were in Toronto together and I took the go train home that night I was already researching on my phone you know typing it in and trying to figure out has anyone talked about this before am I am I right is it true that creativity is just sustained throughout life? It doesn't take a nosedive after, depending on <laughs> depending on where you gauge that that nosedive. I mean, uh, now that I have done the research, people have pegged it at everything from like thirty, <laughs> you know, to. Oh my. <laughs> 
oh, it's so ridiculous to, to you know, 70 or, what, or whatever. There's always some kind of target as to when um, creativity is supposed to decline. This is, I'm, I'm referencing studies from the 1960s right now, but we have made some progress since in, in the research of creativity and aging, but I don't know in terms of our, our stereotypical view of, of the elderly, I think we have some work to do still. <laughs> Someone else who came to the show in the early days and who I really want to give a shout out to for, for her activism and for her role both as a writer and as a publisher is the Haudenosaunee author Janet Rogers and her wonderful project Ogisto Publishing, which is a First Nations owned and run publishing house with a, a mandate to publish um, First Nations authors, including Don Cheryl Hill, who we also had on the show, uh, and her her memoir Memory Keeper, which has gone on to be listed uh, by Good Minds as a resource for Truth and Reconciliation Week. And uh, Memory Keeper is for anyone who wants to hear about someone tracking down their parents' residential school experience. Dawn is a, a great storyteller and Memory Keeper is a, a wonderful book. I really have to commend Janet for saying to Dawn, these stories that you're telling need to be written down and I will publish them. Janet herself is a, a, a fantastic poet. Her book, Ego of a Nation, is what I would say a, a real recommended read for people who are sort of trying to uh, understand Indigenous life in Canada today. And so Janet has been doing that for uh, for decades. She's been a real leader uh, on Turtle Island. And she is now involved with um, managing the Antler River Poetry Series in London. And it's terrific to see all the work that she does in encouraging Indigenous writers and making sure those stories get into print and get distributed. And when I was talking earlier about independent presses, this is the very sort of thing that independent presses do, right? They find the stories and they find the people who are writing them and they make sure those stories stay in print. So a real shout out to Janet for all that work that she does. And here's a little bit of what she had to say when uh, we were talking about Ego of a Nation, uh, her latest poetry book, when she was on the podcast last. We can't go overlooked. We can't be overlooked just saying, hey, we know we're beautiful. We know we have beautiful voices. We know that what we do is a beautiful and important thing. If it's important to us, it's going to be important to you. If you value quote unquote Canadian history, then mm -hmm. we have definitely got to be part of that, you know, for that, sure. That voice in that history. It's a philosophy, yes, but it's actually, it's also a, a, a truism. It's yeah. like the way I resist is I am, I'm visually native. I create a presence just by being places, you know, uh, <laughs> as a visual, as a visually native, you know, recognizable native person. So the more I can do that online, on the airwaves, physically on this, on the land, in the streets and resistance movements and so on and so forth, then I will do that because it's, it's about consistency. It's about being vigilant and making space for more of that as well. To me, that's, that's how I operate. That's the foundation from where I operate as a, as an artist, as a, as a native person, as a native woman that, that will help all of the movements that I write about. And also writing about love and love and acceptance of oneself 
there's that is very, very much an important part of producing a positive presence for ourselves, for our community, for our, you know, the territories that we come from. And I think that's, that's what I've been kind of working on all of these years, living away from home and kind of learning how to do that in all of the travels and then bringing it back home. So it's, it sounds like a grandiose thing, and, but it's been part of the plan the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Tannis, how do people find out about local writers and literary events in the area? I recommend the Riverside Reading Series in Paris, Ontario, which is a monthly series that runs on a Saturday afternoon. You can look up their website, Riverside Reading Series. Alison Fishburne is great at finding local authors and showcasing them. And you can meet the authors afterwards and you can sort of soak up that literary culture. If you're someone who likes to read and people think you're geeky for it, you will not be geeky at an event like this. People like to listen, they applaud, sometimes they hoot and holler because they love what is being read so much. And yeah, and they get to be involved in literary culture. So that reading series for sure. In Waterloo, uh, there is a reading series that runs at St. Jerome's College at U of Waterloo. And it runs, I think it is monthly, and it happens on Friday afternoons. And they get people in who are local and also who are writers from all across the country. So they really mix it up there. And again, these events are free, 100% free. <laughs> you got to get yourself to the room or the location, but that's where the cost ends. You don't have to buy the book if you don't have the money. You can get it from the library or sometimes maybe you want to buy. So the St. Jerome's Reading Series, the Riverside Reading Series. We just had a big event in uh, Waterloo that the KW Writers Alliance put together called Bookfest. Right. And you heard me talking about um, Sarah Tolmy's weird fiction sign at Bookfest. There were writers from all across the region, including people like Katie Mack, who is uh, an astrophysicist at, uh, at the Perimeter Institute and who has written a book called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. We also had a fantasy writer, E.K. Johnson, there, who has also been a, a guest on the show. And it's just a great place to go and to see who's writing what. Right. Again, no cost. And that event has just ended, but we'll, there'll be another one next year in Uptown Waterloo in, in Waterloo Public Square. But I will tell you about something that is coming up. October 27th to 29th is the Wild Writers Fest. This is put together by Pamela Malloy, the, uh, the novelist and uh, the person who is the publisher for the New Quarterly. This takes place every year, end of October, beginning of November, uh, this year on the 27th and to 29th of October. Some of the events are free and some of them are low cost. They run writers workshops as well that you can take. And of course, there are uh, led by fantastic writers from all over, some of which are local. And it's also a place to go and uh, soak up the literary culture, because if they're not local uh, authors on stage, you can bet there's local authors in the audience as well. So I, I'm going to be there leading the poetry panel and talking to Halle uh, Gattery, uh, Rana Bloom, and Anita Leahy as well. 
as Aaron Bow. So some writers from away and some writers from right here, a low cost event that happens every year, the Wild Writers Festival sponsored by the New Quarterly. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Watershed Writers. You can find us every Sunday morning at 10 on Midtown Radio KW, and afterwards, all episodes are posted to SoundCloud. We are produced in partnership with the Idea Exchange and the Waterloo Public Library. Francis Roberts Riley is our producer, John Roscoe is our technical director, and I am the voice in your ear, Tannis McDonald. Our theme music is Water by the Kitchener singer-songwriter Alicia Brilla. Join us again next week, and remember to listen local and think global.